This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Take your Bibles, please. Acts chapter 9. Let me begin with a question this morning. What is the greatest miracle the Lord can do for a human being? Don't answer out loud, but think about that. How would you answer that question? What is the greatest miracle that the Lord can do for a human being? Spiritually minded people would really have to meditate because there are so many miracles that God does for us. All of them are great, but what is the greatest? Would it be healing someone who is sick or lame? That's a miracle. It gets our attention, which is why Jesus did it all through his earthly ministry. And as we move into the book of Acts, Dr. Luke is very interested in these physical miracles. And we're going to look at two of them today. But is that the greatest miracle, healing someone who is sick? How about this miracle, raising the dead? Raising the dead. None of us have ever seen that happen. Now there is the miracle that sometimes folks are in such a bad physical condition when they're brought into a trauma center that they code, uh, they, they lose vital signs on them, and then they're able to cut, you know, they bring them back. Of course, God's working in all that. But, but I don't think anyone here, and if you've had this experience, talk to me afterwards, all right? But I don't think any of us have witnessed a resurrection. Now, there are times when people think they have witnessed a resurrection, and we don't handle that so well. When I pastored in Wisconsin, just north of us, there was a town uh, where they had uh, a hospital, and as the case many times in those smaller towns with those hospitals, the morgue uh, is down in the basement. And there was a mortician who worked down there uh, in this hospital. He had an assistant. And they brought in someone who had died, a man who had had the bends. In other words, he, he was bent over. And uh, so the mortician uh, put him on the table, strapped him down, did whatever he needed to do. And then, thinking he would play a practical joke on his assistant told him to go in, this man hadn't been helping, told him to go in and unstrap the body. Well, he unstrapped the body, turned to a table to do some more work, and when that happened, the reflexes of the deceased person, this man, sat up, and when he did, he forced air out of his lungs. He sat up and went, ah. Oh. Well, as the story goes, and I heard it secondhand from a nurse who was in the hospital, the man ran through a plate glass door to get out of there. Uh, the lawsuit that followed it was expected, but uh, anyway, we are not used to seeing resurrections. Now, I'm thankful the Lord promises that each of us are going to be resurrected. But would you say that that is the greatest miracle? What was the greatest miracle the Lord did during his earthly ministry 
Well, I believe the Savior's greatest miracle is this, saving a lost sinner. That's the greatest miracle. All of us have experienced a mighty miracle if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the greatest of miracles. The Lord took someone who was spiritually dead. That was me. And he gave me enough light to understand that I needed Jesus as my Savior. When I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he saved me. He turned the light on. He cleansed me. And he's done that for each of us as Christians. You have experienced a spiritual resurrection because we were all dead in trespasses and sins. Now, what we need to understand is that this was Jesus' ultimate goal in all the miracles that he did. Why did he heal the lame, uh, cause the blind to see? Uh, why did he raise the dead? It was so that they would believe that he was the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing they would have life in his name. The end of Acts chapter 9, the beginning of chapter 10, shows us three miracles in the early days of the church. But we'll see that ultimately the salvation of souls, that that was the miracle as Dr. Luke writes, uh, the greatest miracle is Dr. Ruth, uh, Luke uh, writes by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. God is also doing miracles in this church age, but today's text is meant to put those miracles in perspective for us. Do you know that miracles can even distract us from the great miracle God is trying to do to bring us to salvation? I've witnessed to people, and, and are you saved? Oh, yeah, let me tell you about this miracle that happened to me. I don't doubt the miracle, but if they haven't put their faith in Jesus Christ, the ultimate miracle hasn't happened. And so we need to realize God is doing miracles, but why is he doing miracles? To bring lost souls to salvation. So I've entitled the message today, Miracles in Perspective. There are whole religious systems, some of them claiming to be Christian, that they want you to experience some miracle and that's proof you're saved. No, the fact I'm saved is proof that God does miracles. And so miracles in perspective. Acts 9.32 gives us the first miracle in this section of Scripture. Would you look at it with me? Verse 32 And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, that's parts of the country where this takes place, and we're going to find out what area this is in a moment. He came down also to the saints which dwelt at uh, Lydda. All right, so here's miracle number one. We're about to see a lame Christian healed. This is a person who knows the Lord, a man who knows the Lord, and he is about to be healed. Now let's establish where this is at. Listen carefully. Uh, in your mind, you need to understand uh, how Palestine, what we call today the Holy Land, how that is laid out. Of course, on the western side, the western border of that whole area is the Mediterranean Sea. Off of the sea, you have a coastal plain that runs north and south. And then from the coastal plain, you have uh, 
mountain range, uh, mountain ranges that begin to arise. They call it the Shuffala, low hills, and that it all goes up to a central mountain spine that runs through Israel. On the top of that mountain spine is Jerusalem and Bethlehem and Hebron. Okay, uh, but it's down in that coastal plain where this takes place. You'll remember a few weeks ago we saw that Philip the evangelist leads an Ethiopian to the Lord down there. And then he makes his way up through that coastal plain to Caesarea. And his, his whole trip north to Caesarea by the sea, uh, he is witnessing. He's leading people to the Lord. Now the Lord has Peter come through that same area, I believe, to follow up on those that have been saved. So the Lord sends Peter. And this is the area where they are at. Now, uh, midway up in that coastal plain, there is a port. You'll recognize it. It's Joppa. It's a city port. It was the main port of Jerusalem during the time of the kings, the monarchy. Uh, it was at that same city that a prophet named Jonah ran to run from the will of God. Remember that? He got a ship. He's headed to Tarsus. He wants to get out of there because God said, go to Nineveh, preach to the Assyrians, uh, or I'm going to destroy him. It's that city. And so just 10 miles south of Joppa is Lydda. Okay, it's inland a little bit, but it's there. Then you have Joppa, and then up the coast you have Caesarea, which in Bible times... Uh, was not there. Uh, it was built by the Romans. It's a Roman city. And by the way, on that central or on that uh, that coastal plain further north is also Mount Carmel. If you can stand on Mount Carmel and look right down onto the Mediterranean. All right. So uh, Peter comes through here and he's ministering to these who have been saved, uh, the saints which dwelt at Lydda. Now, we're not told how all these folks came to Christ. Some of them may have been saved at Pentecost. They may have been up there when Peter preached there. Some may have fled Jerusalem during the persecution under Saul of Tarsus. We do know, though, again, that Philip preached in this city after leading the Ethiopian to the Lord. And you can go back to Acts chapter 8, verse 40 and see that. Here's the point that this text is showing us in verse 32. Discipleship continues as the Lord now leads Peter through this area to minister to the saints. This is not random. The Lord leads Peter here to follow up on these new Christians. Again, this theme of discipleship is throughout Acts, but we see it right here. We'll see that his ministry will end up Peter's ministry will end up bringing even more souls to salvation. Here's the exciting thing. When, um, when folks are committed, when Christians are committed to discipleship, it's going to cause even more disciples. It's going to see more folks saved. Uh, I'm praising the Lord. We had a man come to Christ yesterday uh, who came with one of our men to uh, men's prayer breakfast. Uh, and so what's men's prayer breakfast? It's a prayer time. It's a discipleship time. As we were doing the will of God there, God used the testimony that was given during the prayer breakfast to penetrate uh, this man's heart, and he came to Christ. All right, so that's the point. Now look at verse 33. And there, again, among the saints, he found a certain man named Aeneas, 
which had kept his bed. In other words, he was bedridden eight years and was sick of the palsy. In other words, he was crippled. So here is a crippled man who is bedridden. Verse 34, And Peter said unto him, uh, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Now let me give you the literal translation here. Uh, in the Greek, this is an aorist present, which means that Peter said to him, This moment, Jesus Christ heals you. Right now, he heals you. What was Peter saying? He had the faith to believe right now, as I am con I'm yielded to the Spirit of God right now, Jesus is healing you. What happened? Peter says, Arise, take up thy bed. And he arose, and what's the next word? Immediately. We ought to pause and just ask the Lord to give us a demonstration of his power as a church today. To trust him to where we're willing to ask great things of him. This wasn't Peter who's some mighty saint. No, he's indwelt by the almighty God. And immediately this man is healed. Now this was the second time God uses Peter to heal a lame man. Back in Acts 3, you'll remember when Peter and John were going up to the Temple Mount, uh, they healed uh, the man there. Verse 35 now, And all that dwelt at Lydda and Saron, that's uh, a reference to the plain of Sharon, uh, the lily of the valley. David would speak of the plain of Sharon. I'm partial to this plain because the tribe of Asher lived in this area. Okay, I'm just saying, all right. Um, it's the largest plain on Israel's coastal, uh, in Israel's coastal region. It goes from Joppa all the way up to Mount Carmel. And so understand what this is saying. From Lydda and then all of the plain of Sharon, word spread that this man, Aeneas, had been healed. And they saw him and, notice, turned to the Lord. Now what is this saying? Well, not everyone in this region came to Christ. But those who saw Aeneas, they did. He became a walking miracle. And those who saw him on his feet believed that Jesus was alive and they put their saving faith in him. That's exactly what the purpose of this miracle was. To draw souls to Christ. That's why the Lord healed Aeneas. Now healing this man was a great miracle. Would you agree with me? This was a great miracle. This guy had been lame for years. Now he's walking. In fact, he packs up his bed. He probably walks and puts it away. And everybody sees that this man's life has been radically changed. Now he's already a believer because he's with the believers. And that's how, again, Peter uh, was able to see him when he was with the other saints. So miracle number one, a lame Christian is healed. Now, we need to stop and just ask this question. Does the Lord heal saints in the church today, yes or no? Let me ask the question again. Does the Lord heal saints in the church today, yes or no? Yes, he does. Miraculous healings. 
if you wonder whether the Lord is still healing, and we, we question it because of the charismatic confusion that is out there, but if you wonder about it, it's actually promised by the Lord in James chapter 5. Okay, so the Lord does heal the sick. But we have to ask the question, why? Why? Ultimately, he does that healing so he can do a greater miracle. We'll see this at the end of the text. But those who saw Aeneas turned to the Lord. By the way, what did Jesus often say to those that he had healed in the Gospels? He heals them, and then what does he say? And go and sin no more. What's that? That's a reference to not just physical healing, He's referencing spiritual healing. They've come to him, and in, in those cases, they had believed on him to salvation. And that's why he says, now go and sin no more. Of course, it infuriated the Pharisees when he said that. But the ultimate goal was spiritual salvation. Now, immediately, verse 36, we're taken to a second miracle. And here's the second miracle. Miracle number two is a dead Christian is raised. Now, there was at Joppa, we've already talked about that city, 35 miles away from Jerusalem, a certain disciple named Tabitha. Now, that word disciple uh, is a Greek word, mathetria. It's the only time it's used in our New Testament, and it's actually the feminine form of the word disciple, Tabitha. Now, that's her Hebrew name, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. That's the Greek name. And if you take the first two words in the Greek language, it's actually the word for doe or a female deer. Huh. Uh, many Bible scholars think it also refers to a gazelle. And what do deer do? Nothing runs like a, a deer, all right? And so this was uh, her name, and it reflected what she did in her Christian service. She was just scampering all over. And we're going to see specifically what she was doing in her Christian service. This, this was one of those uh, sisters in Christ that she wouldn't slow down. She wouldn't stop serving. Now, how do we know? Look at the rest of the verse. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did, alms deeds. She helped the needy. Verse 39 specifically points out the widows that she helped. Verse 37, and it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died. Now, Dorcas reminds us of how vitally important Women are in the ministry of the local church. I went by a church marquee recently, and this church, I don't know what they were thinking, but, but uh, we, are, we are celebrating women here. You know, and then it went on to say we're empowering women. Well, what, what does that mean? Biblically, 
a, a, an assembly that understands the word of God, they're already grateful for sisters in Christ and understand that women are such a vital part of God's work on earth. Okay? Some women are like gazelles, moving from one place to another, constantly doing good works, caring for those who are needy. Well, it becomes very obvious in the book of Acts is that the women are not doing the preaching or the deaconing. They don't need to. Instead, they're vital in their roles as disciplers, prayers, and doing what they do best, gentle, compassionate ministry to the needy like Dorcas did. She was indispensable, these saints thought, to the work that was happening here in Joppa. People knew who she was. She loved the Lord and, and the love of Christ was shed abroad in her heart. We might call this behind-the-scenes ministry that she did, but the Holy Spirit puts this woman's ministry on display for all of us to consider. Wow! I can't wait to meet Dorcas if I can catch up to her in heaven, all right? Ladies... Let me encourage you today, fulfill your ministry. Be content within the biblical framework that God has established. It is a high calling. It is what God has chosen for you, uh, the important ministry you have in your families, and then the important ministry you have in this church family. Good news could not minister if it wasn't for you sisters in Christ. I thank God for you. What you do is noble, and you are noble for doing it. And if there's any thinking here that somehow women are, are uh, at a different level than men, you don't understand your Bible. Not only is the ground equal at the foot of the cross, but there is no difference. Jew, Greek, bond, free, male, female. God said that. So great is your reward here and in heaven. We thank God for you. But there is something else here that the Lord wants us to see. There are times when a faithful servant like Dorcas is suddenly taken away. It won't make sense to us when that person who is so loved and so needed in the church is gone. We've had that happen here. Some of you have had it happen in other churches you've been in. You've had it happen within your own family. Some, some young adult maybe who, who loved the Lord was serving the Lord. Gone. I can remember classmates in Bible college that loved the Lord and were headed to full-time service, maybe even got uh, past graduation and they were serving for a year or two and then gone. How do you process that? Lord, don't you know how important they are to your work? And of course he does. So what do we do with that? And this was so helpful for me because as a pastor, I don't know what a day is going to bring forth. From Sunday to Sunday, when I stand here, I don't know who's going to be out there. And by the way, you don't know when you sit out there if I'm going to be up here. 
So what do we do when someone is, is snatched away? When Stephen is martyred, what, what do you do? This, this young, faithful man empowered by the Lord who's serving, what, what, do you, what do we do with that? Lord, was it a mistake? No. So let me give you some help when a saint is taken away. We need to remember this. First of all, God sets the parameters for every Christian's race. It's appointed unto man once to die. That's even true for Christians. God holds the appointment book, and he knows when my life's going to begin. He knows when my rebirth is going to happen. And then he also knows when I'm going to cross the finish line and stand in his presence. Here's the question, can we trust him with that? We must. As for God, his way is perfect. He doeth all things well. He sets the parameters for every Christian's race. And you have to remember, too, that in that race, when the Lord takes them away, they just got their promotion. His work for them in the church is done. Now, that also reminds each of us, we don't know when he's going to decide our work here is done, so be faithful now. If your flesh has deceived you into thinking, well, someday I'm going to get, be, uh, get busy for God, you are deceived. And I would say this to you young people, we thank God for you, but be serving God now because if the rapture happens this afternoon, you know what? Your race is done. It's done. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to college and I'm gonna, I want to fulfill these goals and then, then I'll, I'll serve God. Well, reality is if you're not serving God now, you're not going to serve him later. And that goes for each of us as adults too. Serve him now. Okay? But when God takes someone away, well, Lord, they were such a vital part of our ministry. Well... He sets the parameters, and we need to trust him in that. Number two, the death of a saint reminds us that the building of the church is not dependent on us. Jesus said, I will build my church. What's amazing about church history is the Lord even uses the death of martyrs to strengthen and build his church. Stephen is proof of that. And we're going to see other proofs as we work through the book of Acts. But the Lord builds his church. It's not dependent on us. Don't you ever think as the church family at Good News, well, I don't know how we'd ever get by without such and such a pastor. Yes, you will. How do I know? The Lord said he'd build his church. Well, I don't, I don't know when this person is no longer serving in this specific area. I'm not sure what's going to happen to that ministry. Stop. He is building his church. It's not dependent on us, but we do need to depend on him. And as we do, he does great and mighty things. We need to remember that the one, the Lord Jesus, who raised the death physically and can raise us spiritually to new life, said that he would build his church. Number three, every Christian, though, must be willing and ready to step into the place the Lord has opened by the death of another believer. 
Well, when they're gone, I just don't know what we're going to do. Well, pray for somebody to step in there and be willing to do so yourself. It really does demonstrate our faith or our lack thereof when this kind of disruption happens in an assembly and someone is taken away. But if we're thinking clearly and we're trusting the Lord, God's work goes on. He builds his church. All right, and so, again, we're looking at this second miracle, a dead Christian raised. Now, it's clear here that these Christians expected this miracle. And I didn't, as I studied this, as I meditated on it last week, um, this, this was really exceptional to me. Look at verse 37 again. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died whom, uh, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. Now here's what we have to remember. When someone died in this time, they would wash the body, but then they would anoint the body and they would wrap the body. We know that's what happened with uh, our Savior's body after uh, his death on the cross. But they don't finish the process, okay? They start it, but then they stop. They don't take the final step. What does this show us? Their expectant faith is that she's going to be raised. And why did they stop? Well, they hear that Peter is in the area, verse 38, and for as much as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they went unto, sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Now, verses 37 and 38 indicate they believed Peter could raise her from the dead, and the following verses show this was what Peter expected as well. Again, I just, I just want to pause. Don't forget what I'm going to say here. Acts is going to continue to challenge your faith and mine. In this way, what do you really expect that God can do? I'll say it again. What do you really expect that God can do? Now, I believe that you believe that, but the real test is, how do you pray? And in this situation, they're getting her ready. Somebody says, you know, Peter's over in Joppa, or over in Lydda. What? Stop! We need to get him here. Let's see what God can do. Now, I'm not suggesting this morning that we all ought to have prayer meetings to raise the dead. God's not doing that anymore. Peter was an apostle. Okay, Paul was an apostle. And by the way, we're going to see the parallels between Peter and Paul's ministries, the same miracles God does through each of them. Peter was not a pope. Paul was not a pope. All right? These were apostles. And so these sign gifts, these extraordinary miracles, these, these visual miracles God is doing through the apostles, again, to validate the ministry of Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, the Messiah, and that people should believe on his name. When the apostles are gone, these miracles stop. And I'm talking about raising the dead. 
But at this point, they have the faith to believe that God can do it. Would you have had that kind of faith? When it comes to what you know God is able to do today, do you pray expecting miraculous things from God? I am rebuked in my own prayer life as I pray through the prayer sheet, and, and it's just like, well, Lord, we've prayed about this, and wow, but this is a tough one for you. I don't say that, but my flesh is thinking it. Expect great things from God, ask great things from God. And that's what they were doing here. Verses 37 and 38 indicate again that Peter believed that God could do this. And the following verses show Peter's expectation. Verse 39, then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him, weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. So they hadn't finished the process. They expected God to do something extraordinary. But there's something else here. These coats and garments were Dorcas's evidences of gracious ministry, and God, again, shows it to us in his eternal record. What does God lay on your heart to do for other believers? I'm thinking about one dear saint, she's here this morning, that does a lot of knitting and gives it away, and there are others that do these kinds of things, all right? And... What a blessing. What a testimony, again, what an evidence of God's love through uh, this individual. And others of you do many different kinds of things, and when God promotes you, that's what the saints will remember. It is your testimony, and God highlights it here, and he sees what you do. The needy saints loved Dorcas because she loved them and they presented Peter the proof. When you are gone, what will be the evidences of your love for Christ and his church? When you're gone, what will be the evidences? One of the Blessings that I do, one of the difficult things I do is officiate memorial services. I'll just, I'll just be blunt. With some saints, there's just not enough time to talk about their love for God and what that did to the church, for the church. Sometimes you have services where you're working hard to find something. Say, Pastor, that's unkind. No, that's just reality. Because people do waste their lives, Christians waste their lives on themselves instead of the work of God. Don't be like that. Be a Dorcas. Verse 40, but Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed. This is just what the Savior did when he healed Jairus' daughter back in Mark 5. You can read that account beginning in verse 34. And turning him to the body, he said this, Tabitha, arise. Yes, he is speaking to a dead person. What faith? Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. Now put yourself here. <laughs> He's praying. 
Tabitha, arise. Wow. Now this, this makes me smile. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Where am I and what are you doing here? <laughs> Verse 41, and he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. Oh, wow. What a day this was. So healing Aeneas was a great miracle. Raising Dorcas was a greater miracle. But let's finish. This portion of scripture takes us to the third and greatest of all miracles. Many sinners are converted. You remember what happened in 935? Let's look back at it together. And all that dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now what happens in verse 42? And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Wow. This was the greatest reason the Lord had healed Aeneas and raised Dorcas. Needy souls needed to believe on Jesus Christ. Once again, here in the book of Acts, as it was with Jesus' mighty miracles, the ultimate end of these mighty miracles is to turn lost souls to the Savior for his glory. By the way, when God does a miracle, share it. Tell others. Tell lost people. And then encourage them to turn to the Jesus your Savior who did it. Once again, the importance of discipleship is revealed here then, verse 43, and it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon, a tanner. Now why? Well, there's a whole new crop of disciples that need to be grounded in the word of God. How exciting to think that the Lord was building his church in cities like Lydda, Joppa, in a powerful way. This isn't Jerusalem. This isn't some of these, this isn't Antioch. These, these little coastal towns. The Lord's building his church there as well. And so we conclude. Is the Lord still doing mighty miracles in his church today? What do you think? Absolutely. But the greatest miracle is when lost souls believe on Jesus Christ alone for salvation you're going to see something happen in Peter's ministry and Paul's ministry where they move away from these mighty miracles and it's more now the proclamation of the gospel because more scripture is being written. In fact, Peter or Paul himself is going to get sick and he's not going to heal himself. Three times he's going to ask the Lord to heal him, and three times the Lord is going to say no because my strength is going to be made perfect in your weakness, Paul. And then Paul will go on to say, so I glory in tribulation. I glory in this. Why? Because the power of God is going to rest upon me for the sake of the gospel. Now the other miracles the Lord does in his church and the loving service of saints to one another in the church, all that is meant to strengthen the church so that together we can take the gospel to the world. 
I, I believe this, and I'm going to stand by this statement, but when you read a section of Scripture like Acts chapter 9, do you know who in this assembly are going to get to see more of these great miracles? Those who are committed to the gospel. It's what the text is showing us. If you're committed to the gospel, you are going to see God work through you mightily. He's going to meet your physical needs. There are going to be miracles that happen. All that is going to be to strengthen your faith and to equip you and help you equip other saints to be better witnesses for Jesus Christ. If your life right now revolves around you and you can't see outside of that circle, you're not going to see the power of God. He didn't save you to please you. He saved you to please him and to serve him and to take the gospel to every creature. And so I hope this helps us by putting miracles in perspective. And we're going to see this miracle then continue next time when Peter is told by the Lord to go up to a Roman centurion and Peter himself is going to begin to witness this miracle of salvation in the Gentiles as this Roman soldier and his family come to Christ. Y'all come back, all right? Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this text. Lord, we are cautious about the sensationalism of miracles. Lord, we know that with the charismatic confusion today, there are claims of miracles and it's all a show. It's lies, it's not true. But sometimes even things do happen and the only thing we can attribute it to is Satan's power. It's not the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, while we're cautious, our faith is also challenged because this is the church age. And, Lord, you are able to do exceeding abundantly above what we ask or think. And you can do miracles to strengthen our faith, to strengthen your church, and to make our gospel witness even more powerful by what you're doing. Lord, many saints will be in heaven someday because you used a mighty miracle to turn their heart to Jesus Christ and the gospel. So Lord, help us to trust you for these things, to believe that you can do these things, but that you're doing them for your glory and to draw souls to yourself. Help us to have a biblical perspective when it comes to miracles. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened. And we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.